welcome to City Speak with Max Masudafargas. My guest today has one of the rare distinctions among academics to have coined a term that managed to break out of the insular halls of academia to find its way into everyday parlance. The term she coined is global city, a phrase whose enduring appeal might owe itself to its interesting oxymoronic quality. Can something as locally oriented as a city truly be global? Saskia Sassen, the Robert S. Lind Professor of Sociology at Columbia University, says yes. She has spent decades studying globalization and human migration and has written extensively on how these trends have manifested themselves in the context of global cities. Tune in to hear Professor Sassen's thoughts on how cities have become the frontier of globalization, what makes living in them so difficult, and why she believes we need to, as she puts it, build more cities. Stay tuned. Season 3 of City Speak is proudly sponsored by Batoni Architects. Batoni Architects is a full-service architectural and interior design practice predicated on the notion that architecture is both an artistic and social endeavor that has the potential to enhance the way we experience the world around us. You can explore their projects at batoniarchitects.com. Professor Saskia Sassen, welcome to City Speak. I'm delighted to be here. I've found that oftentimes our guests have an interesting, I guess, origin story as to how they became interested in cities. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us how you ended up in this very unique area of expertise. And in particular, I know you understand you have a, a quite an international background. And I'm wondering if that's related at all. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you got into your area of scholarship. By the time I was two years old, I had already, not on my own clearly, traveled half the globe. My parents were Dutch. And uh, the Dutch are very, they're all over the world. You know, the Netherlands is a very small country. So about half of the Dutch population has to leave the country. And, and they also are famous, the Dutch, for having huge families. So my mother's family, they had 14 children. They had a separate house for the children. And this is the same man, one man and one woman, the same two. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to mobility, the, the Dutch, you know, we're all over the world. It really is funny. Anywhere where you go, you will find a Dutch person. I was also reading recently, I think um, coming from a Dutch background and, and having an interest in cities to me is quite related. When you think about how, for example, you know, Amsterdam was this unbelievably forward-thinking international city dating back to the early modern period. So it makes a lot of sense to me that, that you became interested in this area having a Dutch background. Exactly. But also the way they have used the rivers. The rivers are now platforms for growing food. And this question of space and food, of course. And so you have, they have, they have uh, invented all kinds of systems that allow them to grow a lot of food, either on water, but then also doing knowledge silos, you know, tall silos where they grow food. I mean, silos are very, very tall. You go vertical when you have little ground, going vertical is an option. And so it's just really quite, it's quite impressive. It's a little country. <laughs> I mean, what's amazing is about you is, am I correct? You speak five languages, is it? Yeah, actually closer to six. Closer to six. What, what are the languages, if I may ask? Okay, well, Dutch, 
and Spanish are my core languages. And now, of course, English also. But then uh, my parents each spoke six languages and my father, in fact, eight, because, of course, you know, old Greek and old Latin, which I did not study. But, you know, so it goes on and on. And so and then we lived in many countries. I also lived in Italy. So I learned to speak a rather good Italian and I studied in France. So I have a rather good French. I can do lectures in all those languages. And if your parents already grew up with many languages, then it becomes sort of, it's natural. By the time you are three, you are speaking several languages. <laughs> no, and I, th- I think it's so important to just um, establish that at the outset, as we get into what you're, you've studied, I think it will become very clear to our listeners how much that kind of international background has informed really the substantive matters you, you've worked on. And so with that, with that segue, I'll just, let's just get into some of your, your writings. I think personally, there is something perfectly fitting in the fact that in a time when we're witnessing such seismic changes to cities around the world, we are also approaching the 30th anniversary of the book that launched you probably into academic sort of stardom. I'm referring, of course, to The Global City, which, um, even for our listeners who haven't read it, they've surely heard it as just a phrase in common parlance by now. So to begin, I guess, to the extent this is possible in, in a, a few short sentences, maybe could you give us, I guess, a summary of the central claims of, of your book? Well, you know, what struck me at that point is that there was not a lot of analysis going on about cities. It was all about countries. You know, it was, it was just a different moment. And I being Dutch, remember the Dutch are, are, we depend on cities. You know, we're very city oriented. I don't remember exactly what little incident or something that began to move me towards the study of cities. Now, I know that one critical element that shaped my work was that I stood in multiple complex places. So, so in, in, my, in my original uh, work on the city, you know, I was looking at New York, at London, major cities, three major cities, I mean, really major, huge cities in different worlds, because really England is and certainly was different from New York. And then Tokyo, again, very different, even though all three used very similar advanced systems to run those cities. And when the commonality is is the infrastructure and the difference is culture, the infrastructure is then seen as a given. There's nothing particular if my infrastructure is the same as the one in Tokyo or in, you know. So that in itself already created for me an interesting switch of focus that the powerful infrastructure was not the what the game was really you know that in order to understand you had to understand the differences of cities and how infrastructures functioned were used selected etc and there were not many differences in terms of the infrastructure the differences appeared through people and practices and histories if if i may i'll, I'll read a couple of sentences that i think encapsulate the central claim that you're making from from just the very beginning of the book, you write, 
The first thesis advanced in this book is that the territorial dispersal of economic activity creates a need for expanded central control and management. You go on, the fundamental dynamic posited here is that the more globalized the economy becomes, the higher the agglomeration of central functions in a relatively few sites, namely global cities. You wrote that in 1991. So 30 years later, what lessons would you say, how has that claim played out over the past, I guess, three decades? Well, I would say that it has played out. There has been a a growth in the number of cities involved, but it's very interesting when you look at the world, a world map, that we have these very, very, you know, active global cities in many parts of the world nowadays. Now, a country needs all kinds of cities, but there is also one very powerful element which has to do with business and nowadays increasingly with international connections. And that is where, if you want, the global city comes in. So we have more and more cities in more and more parts of the world that play a connecting role. You know, they they sort of connect the world. Now, there are other ways in which the world is connected as well. I always make that argument. But if it if it comes to the city, you know that that is a bit that is one way of looking at it. Now, I, I think that that n- right now I would say we have allowed our very large cities, especially in some parts of the world, be far too big. The ones who pay the price are, of course, the poorer workers who have often have to travel for hours and hours to get there. And the bosses for whom they work don't even think of that or notice that, that these workers sometimes have to get up, you know, at, at 6 a.m. to get to their job. So the city for me is not a romantic place. The city is a, is a tough place. It also has magic. It also has theater. It has wonderful things, but it also is a tough place. And even in theater, it can be tough because many people will not be given a chance. So it is not, it's not a sweet zone. You know, it's not that. Like the the French like to say, douceur, you know, something soft. No, it's a tough place. It can also have magic, as I said. But, you know, it is, we can't romanticize it too much. And that's, I think, a perfect segue into another topic I'd like to discuss with you, which is an area that you've focused on um, since then, and that is the topic of migration. What has your focus on migration looked like in your scholarship? What is What are some of the topics that you really find interesting as it relates to cities and migration? The the city is a is a very peculiar and unique kind of setup. It's an open system. That means that the poor and the rich and the crazies and the vagabonds, the city is open. Now, some of them become invisible because they need to be invisible to survive. Now, number two point, the major cities, they occupy more and more space. And I object to that. I object to that for one simple reason. Well, two. One is the low-income workers, which the city needs, are the ones that have to sacrifice their health, spend less time with their families in order to make it on time to their jobs. 
And their employers don't even notice that. They don't think about that. They don't think my worker is tired when he arrives or she arrives. That is not smart. I want a worker who arrives with all the energy. So that for me is one critical point. Number two, I am one of those who thinks that we should build new cities. Very few actors, enterprises, whatever, think that way. It's like almost inconceivable. But we have to, because otherwise the ones that lose are the lower income. The cities mostly contains low income, modest income, and even very poor people, and of course also very rich. So the very rich have total command almost. Not totally, because nobody has total command in a city, because a city is an open system, you know, that keeps developing. But to me, to me, this issue of the working classes and the price they pay when the city keeps expanding, I think it's an error. I'm one of those, as I said, who calls for, we need to make new cities. And when you say make new cities, to be very clear, I, I, I take it you don't mean building around the edges of existing cities. You mean properly new geographic points on the map. Exactly. That is exactly what I mean. If you look at, say, the Americas, more so than Europe, because Europe, its cities are so old, they come from a very old time, that you have a multiplication of many more cities in Europe than you have in the the Americas, for instance. So the, the, the Americans have both North and South America, the notion of building a new city when you talk just at a dinner party or at a conference, you say that, look, built a new city? Like, I mean, they do that in the Arab countries because they didn't have cities, so they have built some new... But the notion of building in our Western world new cities is certainly in the Americas, especially. It's like something very strange. you know. And that, to me, also struck me. This is something that I want to write about because... It's like they can't conceive of it. It's like God made these cities. We have these 28 cities or these 49 or whatever. And that's that. We're done with building. You know, and of course, then what happens is we expand, expand. And I am sort of now really engaged by this notion of what is it that we are not incorporating into our analysis of cities that so few say we need to build new cities. If I may tease out some more of that that core part, let's say in, in kind of practical terms, geographically, if you were to look at, let's take the United States as a case study or any in any state of your choosing, how would a urban planner or, or governor go about thinking about how to and where to build a new city to advance the aims that you've, you've yeah. discussed? I mean, it's going to be very difficult to get that done, certainly in the West. Because remember that those who have power, those who have good jobs, those who are loving their cities, uh, you know, they are fine. And they do not have the experience of the other half. So the ones who have voice would not see a need. So that's one point. Second point. We really exist in an epoch where this notion is we have done the city building bit. It's done. 
We have the cities. You know, and then especially you look at some areas in the east, the far east, where they are actually building new cities like the Chinese and say the West looks at that and says, oh, we did all of that. We did it. We did it a long time ago. I'd like to now transition into the final um, topic um, because we haven't yet touched on um, the area of scholarship, which is, I guess, your title, which is sociology. And so I'll tee it up by, by reading a brief passage you wrote. The city has long been a strategic site for the exploration of major subjects confronting society. In the first half of the 20th century, the study of cities was at the heart of sociology, evident in the work of Zimmel, Weber, Benjamin, and the Chicago School. These sociologists confronted massive processes, industrialization, urbanization, alienation, and a new cultural formation they called urbanity. Studying the city meant studying the major social processes of an era. So if we were to hone in on that last part of the passage and apply it, let's say, in the present context, what in your mind would be the, quote, major social processes of this era? Well, I would say the city is just one site that we, in fact, need to deal with. But I think that the most urgent uh, set of issues right now is the extent to which we have destroyed most living plants. In other words, we have had a modality for growth that has been a curve. At the beginning, good, interesting, nice. We can concentrate people. We don't have to spread it all out, you know, with low-level houses. We can have towers. That's good. That There's something positive about that. But now we're on the other side of the curve in many cities, not in all. Let's remember that in Europe, they really know how to take care, especially in the continent, of their cities. They have had cities that have been inhabited, you know, for, for millennia. And they, it's just natural to take care. It's also natural, say, in Europe, to, to allow that people who live in the city, that they also own little pieces of, of land where they can grow, you know, where they can have a rural moment, so to say. You know, it's just a different, it's a different formation. It's not as brutal and as elementary as what, as what happened in, in the Americas. The Americas were invaded by huh, the, the, the Europeans, basically. And they built in a way that it was just a different history. We made a very different type of history here from the history of the urban in, in, in Europe or in Japan, for that matter, you know, and in some of the in Chinese areas as well. They have different histories. They are deep, deep histories that the United States didn't quite have. You know, the, the United States, in comparison, was a very accelerated process. And that could also make a difference when you move very fast into building and into, you know, setting it all up. I mean, it is different from a city that has grown across centuries slowly and they have extraordinary buildings like you see in Europe, right, on the continent. Uh, now, both are fine with me. You know, I'm not privileging one or the other, but it's just the, different of the, the difference of the histories. To, to conclude, I loved the bit that you wrote that there were these enormous social forces at play in the early 20th century that led to real sociological effects on people, 
um, whether it's alienation, as you call it, or, or urbanity. What, what is the modern analog to that, to that social, sociological yeah. effect? Yeah, well, that's a very good point that you raise here. And, and it's, it has its own complexities. You know, it will vary from city to city. And it also varies in terms of epochs. But I think, well, number one, very simple, I already mentioned it. We have to stop simply expanding our cities. Our big cities, we should make an end to it. Stop. Don't keep expanding. We need to build, right? Period. And, and, and we, need to, we need to really avoid what has happened in Latin America, where, you know, the, the poor have to travel two, three hours. Terrible stuff. We can, in the North America, we don't quite have that. We have some of that. Huh? It's certainly present, but not as severe. But the other thing is we need to radically change how we build the materials we use, the whole question of the, of the ecological. That is, to me, absolutely now a priority. And that means building in a very different way. It's different types of knowledge that have to be brought in. And so I think that we in the West, especially in the West, because we have all this vast amount of space, you know, we just have allowed our cities to simply expand, 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 because there is space. Well, that is not an intelligent way to proceed on many different levels, you know, besides the long commutes, but also how to misuse land, to put cement everywhere when it's, we shouldn't be doing it that way. We should do it in other ways. So right now there is a vast amount of new expertise that has arisen that is signaling the many different ways in which we could do it. Thank you so much, Professor Sassen, for joining us. Well, your questions were excellent. It was a pleasure. This has been City Speak with Max Masuda-Farkas, produced in partnership with Urbanized Media, with audio production and music by Greg Gordon-Smith and Source Code Creative Media. Stay tuned for our next episode.